0: Welcome to Reformed in Public, we continue with the reading of the Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. This work is considered public domain. All the rules and helps in the world will do us little good unless we get a good temper within our hearts. You can never make a ship go steady by propping it outside. You know there must be ballast within the ship to make it go steady. And so there is nothing outside us that can keep our hearts in a steady, constant way. But what is within us, grace is within the soul, and it will do this, too, and it will do this, too. If you would get a contented life, do not grasp too much of the world. Do not take in more of the business of the world than God calls you to do. Do not be greedy of taking in a great deal of the world. For if a man goes among thorns, when he may take a simpler way, he has no reason to complain that he is pricked with them. You go among thorns. It. You go among thorns. Is it your way? Must you, of necessity, go among them? Then it is another matter. But if you voluntarily choose that way, when you may go another, then you have no cause to complain. If men and women will thrust themselves on things of the world which they do not need, then, O wonder, that they are pricked and meet with what disturbs them, for such is the nature of all things here in this world, that everything has some prick or other in it. We will meet with disappointments and discontentments in everything we meddle with, and therefore those who have least to do in the world, that is, unless God calls them to it, we must put in that, are likely to meet with many things that will dissatisfy them. 3. Be sure of your call to every business you go about. Though it is the least business, be sure of your call to it. Then, whatever you meet with, you may quiet your heart with this, I know I am where God would have me. Nothing in the world will quiet the heart so much as this. When I meet with any cross, I know I am where God would have me, in my place and calling, I am about the work that God has sent me, that God has set me. Oh, this will quiet and content you when you meet with trouble, what God calls a man to, in that he may have comfort whatever befalls him. God will look to you and see you blessed if you are in the work God calls you to. 4 What has just been said is especially true if I add that I walk by rule in the work that I am called to. I am called to such a business, but I must manage this work that I am called to that I am called to by rule. I must walk by the word, order myself in this business, according to God's mind as far as I am able. Now add this to the other, and then the quiet and peace of the soul may be made, even in a perfect way. When I know that I have not put myself on the work, but God has called me to it, and I walk by the rule of the word in it. Then, whatever may come, God will take care of me there. It was a saying of a heathen, If you will subject all things to yourself, subject yourself to reason, and by that you will make all things to be under you. I may add a little more to it, If you will subject all things under you, subject yourself to God. And then, The trust, the truth is, all things are under you. It has been as many times we have hinted, the reason why many of our gentry have been so malignant among us, because they are willing to be slaves themselves, under some above them at court, so that they may keep their neighbours under to be slaves to them. For you know any man, before who was great at court, could crush any countryman with whom he was angry." If there were an arbitrary government, then all those who would be willing to be vassals and slaves to the prince could make all others vassals and slaves under them. Now, be willing to be a vassal to God and to be absolutely under God's command. And then I say, all things in the world are under you. All things are yours, says the apostle. Life and death, everything is yours, and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. All things in the world are serviceable to that man or woman who is serviceable to God. It is a mighty commendation of God's service. Be willing to be serviceable to God yourself, and God makes all things in the world your servants, for so they are. You will say, How are they my servants? I cannot command them their servants in this, that God orders them all to work for your good. There is nothing the world but, says God, it shall work for your good, and be serviceable to you, if you will be serviceable to me. Who would not be now God's subject? Subject yourself to God, and all things shall be subjected to you so long as we keep within our bounds we are under protection but if once we break our bounds we must expect it to be with us as it is with the deer in the park while the deer within the pail while the deer keep within the pail no dogs come after them and they can feed quietly but let the deer get outside the pail and then Every dog in the country will be hunting after them. So it is with men. Let men and women keep within the bounds of the command of God, of the rule that God has set them in this in his world, and then they are protected by God and they may go about their business in peace, and never be troubled for anything, but cast all their care upon God. God provides for them. But if they go beyond the pale, if they pass their bounds, then they may expect to meet with troubles and afflictions and discontent. Therefore that is a fourth direction, walk by rule. 5. Exercise much faith, that is the way of content- for contentedness after you have done with all the considerations that reason may suggest to you if you find that these do not do it oh then call for the grace of faith a man may go very far with the use of reason alone to help him to contentment but when reason is at a nonplus then set faith at work it was a saying of the reverend divine master perkins whom god made so useful in his time the life of faith he said is a true life indeed the only life Exercise faith not only in the promise that all shall work together for good to them that fear God, but likewise exercise faith in God himself, as well as in his word, in the attributes of God. It was a saying of Socrates, a heathen, since God is so careful for you. What need you be careful for anything? Yourselves. It was a strange saying for a heathen. O Christian, if you have any faith, in any time of extremity, think thus. This is the time that God calls for the exercise of faith. What can you do with your faith? If you cannot quiet your heart in discontent, there was a saying of one Dionysius, who had been a king and afterwards was brought to such a low condition as to get his living by being a schoolmaster. Someone comes and asks him, What have you got by your philosophy from Plato and others? What have I got, he says? I have got this, that though my condition is changed from so high a condition to low, yet I can be content. So what do you get by being a believer, a Christian? What can you do by your faith? I can do this. I can, in all states, cast my care upon God, cast my burden upon God. I can commit my way to God in peace. Faith can do this. Therefore, when reason can go no higher, let faith get on the shoulders of reason and say, I see land through, though reason cannot see it. I see good that will come out of this evil. Exercise, by, exercise faith by often resigning yourself to God, by giving yourself up to God and his ways. The more you, in a believing way, surrender up yourself to God, the more quiet and peace you will have 6 labor to be spiritually minded that is be often in the, in meditation of the things that are above if we be risen with christ say the scripture let us seek the things that are above where christ is that sits at the right hand of god be much in spiritual thoughts in conversing with things above Many Christians who have an interest in the things of heaven converse, but very little with them. Their meditations are not much upon heavenly things. Some give this as the reason why Adam did not see his nakedness. They think that he had so much converse with God and with things above sense that he did not so much mind or think of what nakedness was whether that were so or not i will not say but this i say and am certain of it the reason why we are so troubled with our nakedness with any wants that we have is because we are converse is because we converse so little with god so little with spiritual things conversing with spiritual things would lift us up if would lift would lift us up above the things of the world. Those who are bitten or struck by a snake, it is because they tread on the ground. If they could be lifted up above the earth, they need never fear being stung by the snakes which are crawling underneath. So I may compare the sinful distemper of murmuring, and the temptations and evils that come from that, to snakes that crawl up and down below. But if we could get higher, we should not be stung by them a heavenly conversation is the way of is the way to contentment 7 do not promise yourselves too much beforehand do not reckon on too great things it is good for us to take hold very low and not think to pitch too high and not think to pitch too high do not soar too high in your thoughts beforehand, to think, oh, if I had this and this, and imagine great matters to yourselves. But be as good Jacob. You know he was a man who lived a very contented life in a mean condition. And he said, Lord, if I may, but have clothes to put on and meat to eat. He looked no higher. He was content with that. So if we would not pitch our thoughts high, And think that we might have what others have, so much and so much, we would not be troubled so much when we meet with disappointments. So Paul says, if we have but little meat, if we, sorry, so Paul says, if we have but meat and drink and clothing, let us therewith be content. He did not soar too high aloft. Those who look at high things in the world meet with disappointments, and so they come to be discontented. Be as high as you will in spiritual meditations. God gives liberty there to any one of you to be as high as you will above angels. But for your outward estate, God would not have you aim at high things. Seekest thou great things, said the Lord to Baruch? Seek them not. Jeremiah 45, 5 You shall have your life for a prey. In these times especially, it would be a very great evil for anyone to aim at great things. Seek them not. Be willing to take hold low and to creep low. And if God raises you, you will have cause to bless them. Sorry. And if God raises you, you will have cause to bless him. But if you should not be raised, there would not be much trouble. One who creeps low cannot fall far, but it is those who are on high whose fall bruises them most. That is a good rule. Do not promise yourselves great things, neither aim at any great things in the world. 8. Labor to get your hearts mortified to the world, dead to the world. We must not content ourselves that we have gotten some reasoning um, about the vanity of the creature and such things as these but we must exercise mortification and be crucified to the world Paul said I die daily we should die daily to the world we are baptized into the death of Christ that is to signify that we have taken such a profession as to profess to be even as dead men to the world now no Crosses that fall out in the world trouble those who are dead. If our hearts were dead to the world, we should not be much troubled with the changes of the world, nor the tossings about of worldly things. It is very noteworthy in those soldiers who came to break the bones of Christ that They broke the legs of one who was crucified with him, and of the other, but when they came to Christ they found he was dead, and so they did not break his legs. There was a providence in it to fulfill a prophecy, but because they found he was dead, they did not break his bones. Let afflictions and troubles find you with a mortified heart to the world, and they will not break your bones. Those whose bones are broken by crosses and afflictions are those who are alive to the world, but are not dead to the world. But no afflictions or troubles will break the bones of one who has a mortified heart and is dead to the world. That is, they will not be very grievous or painful to such a one as is mortified to the world. This, I fear, is a mystery and a riddle to many, for one to be dead to the world, to be mortified to the world. Now it is not my work to open to you what mortification is, or death to the world, but only what it is to have our hearts so taken off from the things of the world as that we use them as if we used them not, not accounting that our lives are comforts our happiness consist in these things. The things in which our happiness consists are of a different kind, and we may be happy without these. This is a kind of deadness to the world. 9. Let not men and women pour too much upon their afflictions, that is, busy their thoughts too much, to look down into their afflictions. You may find many people, all of whose thoughts are taken up about what their crosses and afflictions are. They are altogether thinking and speaking of them. It is just with them as with a child who has a sore. His finger is always on the sore, so men's and women's thoughts are always on their afflictions. When they are When they awake in the night, their thoughts are on their afflictions, and when they converse with others, it may be even when they are praying to God, they are thinking of their afflictions. Oh, no marvel that you live a discontented life, if your thoughts are always poring over such things. You should rather labor to have your thoughts on those things that may comfort you. There are many who, if you propound any rule to them, to do them good, will take it well while they are with you, and thank you for it. But when they are gone, they soon forget it. It is very noteworthy of Jacob, that when his wife died in childbirth, she called the child Ben-Oni, that is, a son of sorrows. But Jacob thought with with himself, If I should call this child Ben-Oni, every time that I name it, will put me in mind of the death of my dear wife, and of that affliction, and that will be a continued affliction to me. Therefore, I will not have my child have that name. And so the text says that Jacob called his name Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Now this is to show us thus much. That when afflictions befall us, we should not give way to having our thoughts continually upon them, but rather upon those think upon those things that may stir up our thankfulness to God for mercies. There is a comparison made by Basil, a learned man. It is in this case, as with men and women who have sore eyes. Now it is not good for them to be always looking into the fire, or at the beams of the sun. No, he says, one who has sore eyes must get things that are suitable to him, and such objects as are fit for one with such weak eyes. Therefore, they get green colors, as being a more easy color, and better for weak eyes. And they hang green sarsenet before their eyes, because it is more suitable to them. It is the very same with weak spirits. A man or woman who has a weak spirit must not look into the fire of their afflictions. Upon those things that deject and cast them... upon those things that deject, that cast them down, but they ought to be looking rather on that which may be suitable for healing and helping them. They should consider those things rather than the other. It will be of very great use and benefit to you, if you lay it to heart, not to be pouring always on afflictions, but on mercies. 10. I beseech you to observe this though you should forget many of the others. Make a good interpretation of God's ways towards towards you. If any good interpretation can be made of God's ways towards you, make it. You think it much if you have a friend who always makes bad interpretations of your ways towards him. You would take that badly. If you should converse with people with whom you cannot speak a word, but they are ready to make a bad interpretation of it, and to take it in an ill sense, you would think that their company very tedious to you. It is very tedious to the Spirit of God when we make such bad interpretations of his ways towards us. When God deals with us otherwise, than we would have him do. If one sense, worse than another, can be put upon it, we will be sure to do it. Thus, when an affliction befalls you, many good senses may be made of God's works towards you. You should think that thus, it may be God intends only to try me by this. It may be God saw my heart was too much set on the creature. And so he intends to show me what is my heart. It may be that God saw that it if my wealth did not It may be that God saw that if my wealth did continue I should fall into sin, that the better my position were, the worse my soul would be. It may be God intends only to exercise some grace. It may be God intends to prepare me for some great work. Which he has for me. Thus you should reason. But we, on the contrary, make bad interpretations of God's thus dealing with us, and say, God does not mean this. Surely the Lord means by this to manifest his wrath and displeasure against me. And thus, his wrath and displeasure against me, and this is but a furtherance of further details that he intends toward me, just as they did in the wilderness. God hath brought us hither to slay us. This is the worst interpretation that you can possibly make of God's ways. Oh, why will you make these worst interpretations, when there are many better? In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, when the scripture speaks of love, it says, Love thinketh no evil. Love is that nature, that if ten interpretations may be made of a thing, nine of them bad and one good, love will take that which is good and leave the other nine. And so, though ten interpretations might be presented, to you concerning concerning God's ways towards you, and if but one is good and nine bad, you should take that one which is good and leave the other nine. I beseech you to consider that God does not deal by you as you deal with him. Should God make the worst interpretation of all your ways towards him, as you do of his towards you, it would be very ill with you. God is pleased to manifest his love thus to us, to make the best interpretations of what we do, and therefore God puts a sense upon the action of his people, that one would think could hardly be. For example, God is pleased to call those perfect who have any uprightness of heart in them. He accounteth them perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uprightness, in God's sense, is perfection. Now, alas, when we look into our hearts, we can scarce see any good at all there, and yet God is pleased to make such an interpretation as to say it is perfect. When we look into our own hearts, we can see nothing but uncleanness. God calls you his saints. He calls the meanest Christian, who has the least grace under the greatest corruption, his saint. You say we cannot be saint here, but yet I I. you say we cannot be saints here, but yet in God's esteem we are saints. You know the usual title the Holy Ghost gives in several of the epistles to those who had any grace and uprightness is to the saints in such a place. You see what an interpretation God puts upon them. They are saints to him, and so I might name in many other particulars how god makes the best interpretation of things if there is an abundance of evil and a little good god rather passes by the evil and takes notice of the good i have sometimes made use of a very notable place in peter concerning sarah sarah had a speech to her husband in genesis 18 12 she called her husband lord there was only that one good word in a bad unbelieving speech but yet, when the Apostle mentions that speech in 1 Peter 3, 6, the Holy Ghost leaves all the bad, and commends her for calling her husband Lord, for, the, for putting a reverent title upon her husband. Thus, how graciously God deals with us! If there is but one good word among a great many ill, what an interpretation God makes! so should we do if there is only one good interpretation that we can make of a thing we should rather make use of the good one than the bad O my brethren i would could now i would i could now speak only to such as are godly retain good thoughts of god take heed of judging god to be a hard master make good interpretations of his ways, and that is a special means to help you to contentment in all one's course. 11. Do not so much regard the fancies of other men as what indeed you feel yourselves. For the reason of our discontentment many times is rather from the fancies of other men than from what we find we lack ourselves. We think poverty to be such a great evil. Why? Because it is so esteemed by others rather than that people feel it so themselves, unless they are in an extremity of poverty. I will give you a clear demonstration that almost all the discontent in the world is rather from the fancies of others than from the evil that is on themselves. You may think your wealth to be small and your interpretation thereupon discontented, and it is a grievous affliction to you. But if all men in the world were poorer than you, then you would not be discontented, then you would rejoice in your estates though you had not a penny more than you have, take a man who can get but his twelve pence a day, and you will say, This is but a poor thing to maintain a family. But suppose there were no man in the world that had more than this. Ye, that all other men but yourselves had somewhat less wages than you, then you would... then you would. Think your condition pretty good. You would have no more than you have now, therefore, it appears by this that it is rather from the fancies of other men than what you feel that makes you think your condition to be so grievous. For if all the men in the world looked upon you as happy, more happy than themselves, then you would be contented. Oh, do not let your happiness depend upon the fancies of other men! There is a saying of Chrysostom I remember in this very case. Let us not make the people in this case to be our lords. As we must not make men to be the lords of our faith, so not the lords of our comforts. That is, our comfort should not depend upon more. That is, our comfort should not depend more upon their imaginations than upon what we feel in ourselves. It may be ourselves think you, to be in an affliction. It may be ourselves, think you, to be in an afflicted condition ye, but I thank God for myself, I do not so apprehend it. Were it not, for the disgrace, disregard the slightings of other men, my condition would not be so bad to me as it is now. This is what makes my condition afflictive. 12. Be not inordinately taken up with the comforts of this world, when you you have them, when you have them, do not take too much satisfaction in them. It is a certain rule, however inordinate any man or woman is in sorrow when a comfort is taken from them, so were they immoderate in their rejoicing in the comfort when they had it. For instance, God takes away a child and you are inordinately sorrowful beyond what God allows in a natural or Christian way. Now, though I never knew before how your heart was towards the child, yet when I see this, though you are a mere stranger to me, I may, without breach of charity, conclude that your heart was immoderately set upon your child or husband, or upon any other comfort that I see you grieving for when God has taken it away. If you hear ill-tidings about your estates and your heart are dejected immoderately, and you are in a discontented mood because of such and such a cross, certainly your hearts were immoderately set upon the world. So, likewise, for your reputation, if you hear others report this or that ill of you, and your hearts are dejected because you think you suffer in your name, your hearts were inordinately set upon your name and reputation. Now, therefore, the way for you not to be immoderate in your sorrow for afflictions is not to be immoderate in your love and delights when you have prosperity these are the principal directions for your help for our help that we may live quiet and contented lives my brethren to conclude this point if I were to tell you that I could show you a way never to be in want of anything I do not doubt but that we should have much flocking to such a sermon when a man should undertake to manifest to people how they should never be in want any more. But what I have been preaching to you now comes to as much. It countervails this, and is in effect with all one. Is it not almost all one never to be in want or never to be without contentment? That man or woman who is never without a contented spirit truly can never be said to want much oh the word holds forth a way full of comfort and peace to the people of god even in this world you may live happily lives in the midst of all the storms and tempests in the world there is an ark that you may come into and no men in the world may live such comfortable cheerful and contented lives as the saints of god oh that we had learned this lesson I have spent many sermons over this lesson of contentment, but I am afraid that you will be longer in learning it than I have been preaching of it. It is a harder thing to learn it than it is to preach or speak of it. I remember I have read of one man reading of that place in the 39th Psalm, I will take heed that I offend not with my tongue. He said i have been these 38 years learning this lesson and have not learned it thoroughly the truth is there are many i am afraid who have been professors near eight and thirty years who have hardly learned this lesson it would be a good lesson for young professors to begin to learn this early but this lesson of christian contentment is as hard and perhaps You may be many years learning it. I'm afraid there are some Christians who have not yet learned to offend grossly with their tongues. Who have not yet learned not... Sorry, that's my misreading. Who have not yet learned not to offend grossly with their tongues. The scripture says that all a man's religion is in vain if he cannot bridle his tongue. Therefore, one would think that those who make any profession of godliness should quickly learn this lesson such a lesson that unless learned makes all their religion vain but this lesson of christian contentment may take more time to learn and there are many who are learning it all the days of their lives and yet are not proficient but god forbid that it should be said of any of us concerning this lesson as the apostle says of widows in timothy that they were never that they were ever learning it and never coming to knowledge of the truth readers note not sure Paul is actually talking about the widows in that part. No, I continue with the reading. Sorry, I could be wrong. Oh, let us that they were ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Oh, let us not be ever learning this lesson of contentment and yet not come to have skill in it. You would think it much if you had been at sea 20 years and yet had attained to no skill in your heart of navigation you will say i have used the sea twenty or thirty years and i hope i may know by this time what concerns the sea oh that you would but say so in respect of the art of christianity when anything is spoken concerning the duty of a Christian, oh that Christians could but say, I have been a Christian so long and I hope I am not wanting in a thing that is so necessary for a Christian. Here is a necessary lesson for a Christian that Paul said he had learned all that Paul said he had learned in all estate therewith to be content. Oh, do not be content with yourselves till you have learned this lesson of Christian contentment and have obtained some better skill in it than before. Now there is in the text another lesson, which is hard, which is a hard lesson. I have learned to abound, that does not nearly, that does not so nearly concern us at this time, because the times are afflictive ones, and there is now more than ordinarily an uncertainty in all things in the world. In such times as these are, there are few who have such an abundance that they need to be much taught in that lesson.